0: Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders.
1: I'm Heather.
0: And I'm Dylan.
1: This is our extra snuggly episode.
0: Oh my god, it's so cold.
1: It is very cold outside right now. Um, I don't know what happened. We'd had like some nice days, like 60, 70s. Yeah. And then now it's bitter cold.
0: Yeah, I think this is what winter's supposed to be.
1: What? <laughs> and we got kind of
0: uh, spoiled there around Christmas.
1: Yeah, I guess so. But very cold. We've had a little bit of snow. Flurrying today.
0: Yeah, it's just so cold; it's wicking all the moisture out of the air.
1: They've also called in like a two-hour delay for tomorrow.
0: Mm, That's good.
1: So we've got a great
0: school kids
1: Martin Luther King Jr. Day holiday show. We can't wait to talk about. Yeah, but we should mention our live show. We had our very first Mountain Murder's live show this weekend at Fleetwoods in Asheville, North Carolina. Sold-out show.
0: Oh my God, it was so awesome meeting some of the Mountain Murders fans.
1: You know what I thought was interesting, Dylan? When we began the show, I pulled the audience who listens to Mountain Murders regularly. Yeah. And only about a fifth of the crowd raised hands. I so know. we had a lot of new people who were not familiar with our podcast show up, buy tickets. Yeah, I'm still trying
0: to figure um which that's great. I'm glad they came, of course. But I'm still trying to figure out if uh, people just saw the event and thought it would be something cool to do. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe we would have some new listeners from that.
1: Either way, I hope so.
0: But we did see some uh, real fans.
1: That was great.
0: That was great. We got
1: to meet Brittany. We had Marcia, Tessa show up. There are definitely some... Big fans of Mount Murders. Yeah,
0: and Sunday?
1: Sunday, I mean, she gifted us with the coolest framed art piece. It's our logo. Yeah. We put it in the living room.
0: It was our first Mount Murder art from a fan. It was
1: really cool. It was incredible. We love it.
0: All right, so So where do we go from here?
1: Well, Dylan, I have a great case for us today. It's going to take place here, deep in the woods of Western North Carolina. Not far from where we call home.
0: We got some deep woods around here, girl.
1: A young woman goes missing. Her family is desperate for answers, especially given the fact that only a few months earlier, her nephew had also vanished.
0: God, family
1: going through a lot. Marion is a small community at the base of the Appalachian Mountains about an hour east of Asheville, halfway between Asheville and the Hickory-Lenore area. It's kind of like right in the middle. Right. The population is roughly maybe 10,000. Now, the town itself, here's a little history about it. It's only about five and a half square miles, but McDowell County is a lot larger. During the Carolina Gold Rush period in the early 19th century, the southern part of the county was known for gold production. Oh. They actually still host a gold festival today where you can go... It's like in the summertime, a couple of uh days, I think maybe a weekend. You can go with the family and learn all about the gold mines. They have some of the old mines open.
0: Well, I want to go. It
1: sounds like fun, right? Yeah. The film The Last of the Mohicans was also um par- you know, partially filmed around the shores of Lake James. And if you remember our drunk Thanksgiving episode, which you probably don't remember. <laughs> I so don't we remember were, we it. Were pretty smart. <laughs> Um, we had a case that was centered around that Lake James area.
0: Yeah, I'm just kidding. That was a disturbing case as well.
1: Yes, definitely. Zulfia Lowry was a pretty blonde, 25-year-old truck stop waitress living in Marion. Sophia's nickname was
0: Zipper. That's a cool name, Zulfia.
1: It is. Um, Zulfia was the youngest of four children. She had dropped out of high school at age 16. Friends and family describe her as a very sweet person, fun to be around, always smiling. She collected unicorns, loved writing poetry, always playful, and kids loved her.
0: Which sounds like a lot of fun.
1: Just a really happy young woman. She had a very close relationship with her family, including her older sister. She was much younger than the rest of her siblings. So much younger, in fact, that some of her nieces and nephews were fairly close in age with Sophia in the truck stop where she worked. It was not very far from the residence, so she would often walk back and forth to work unless someone gave her a ride.
0: Oh, so she was like the cool fun aunt who's cool to hang out with, right?
1: Yeah. She especially had a close relationship with her nephew, his name was Jeremiah Pittman. Jeremiah's father, Eddie, was a fairly neglectful man. Providing Jeremiah with an unstable home life, people describe Jeremiah as just very, very quiet, shy, introvert, but he found a kindred spirit in his aunt. Now, he confided in Zelfia. They were more like brother and sister than they were aunt and nephew. They were very close. Like, people would say they were best friends.
0: So you always saw them together. You see one, you see the other, kind of thing like that.
1: Always hanging out. Okay. Having a good time together. And, you know, that was the one person in his family he felt like he could really turn to. To, you know, confide in if he was having a bad day. He can count on her. Always. Because he
0: can't count on his daddy, it don't sound like.
1: In September of 1992, Jeremiah's mother reported him missing. The young man vanished without a trace, leaving only his pickup truck on the side of the highway. His roommates told authorities he'd gone to his daddy's house. Jeremiah was also a high school dropout, and he didn't have a job at the time. There was not a lot of concern. Rumors circulated that the young man had hopped into a trucker's cab, making his way to Texas. Even his father told authorities he thought his son had left town. Family had hoped he was somewhere maybe, you know, making a new life for himself. But they also thought it was a bit odd that he would just leave everything behind.
0: Yeah, I mean, who doesn't take their damn car with them if they're taking off? I mean, you need the car when you get somewhere else.
1: Well, Zelfia knew that Jeremiah would not leave without telling her his whereabouts, his plans, where he was going. Again, they're like best friends. This pair is very close. Zelfia expressed worries to relatives about Jeremiah. She explained that she was going to go confront Eddie Pittman about Jeremiah's disappearance, She had this really strong feeling that he may know more about his son and what was going on with Jeremiah.
0: Yeah, because I'm sure she's heard all the stories from Jeremiah about his dad being an asshole to him.
1: Well, she just didn't trust Eddie Pittman and knew that he was not a good guy. Jeremiah's disappearance was baffling to investigators. I mean, detectives chase leads from Florida to Texas. But as the years passed, Questions remained: if the young man had in fact left for a better life elsewhere, why would he never call home? He never asked for money. If he tried applying for a job, his social security number would be found through the National Crime Information Center Network. I mean, unless this is a guy who's going to go as far as changing his social security number right. and assume a new identity. A new identity. But then that leads to more questions of like, why? Why would he do that? Yeah, so it you- just didn't make any sense. To investigators.
0: Yeah, I hate to say it. It sounds like someone who's no longer living. June 27th,
1: 1993. Zophia had not returned from work. Her family finds it a bit odd, but they try to file a missing persons report. Authorities basically don't have any interest
0: in taking their report. All the time.
1: Now, Zilfia would sometimes spend a few days at a time away from home. They thought maybe she wasn't missing. She was a free spirit. She liked to party. She liked to have a good time. She'll turn up in a few days. This is basically what the police told her family. Jeremiah and Zilfia were both missing. So here you've got two relatives in the same family. Clearly this family is devastated. I mean, how much tragedy could a family endure?
0: Yeah, so they wondered all that time what happened to Jeremiah, and now she's gone. I mean, that's crazy.
1: The family begins asking questions. They start taking the investigation on themselves. They comb the truck stop where Zofia worked. They have her picture. They're asking folks, you know, have you seen her? Do you know where she is? Any information? But people are kind of reluctant to talk. And it seems that no one has answers as to, you know, where Zelfia might be. Jeremiah's still missing as well. So This family is just trying everything they can to get some answers. Man, well,
0: they had to do it themselves. Doesn't sound like they're getting a lot of support from authorities.
1: Well, they're not. And I think that, you know, this happens in small towns. You know, the last case we discussed was the Nancy Morgan case. And yeah. that definitely seemed like a botched investigation totally. of just law enforcement who didn't really have any interest at all in doing police work or bothering people or bringing in this good old boys network.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And it just seems like this is another one of those cases where they don't want to take the missing persons report seriously. They maybe look down on this family a little bit, like, oh, well, you're not important in this community. Sophia yeah, I mean- is just this truck stop waitress Right. She's not a doctor's
0: daughter. Oh, she's probably a lot lizard.
1: I mean, you know, they just don't seem to really want to help. And I saw some interviews with her sister, and her sister said she felt like they were treated as second-class citizens, like the law enforcement officers did, like, look down on their family.
0: Well, that's what it sounds like. And And I'm sure there's a reason that this happens a lot with cops all over, you know, not just small towns, but all over the country is they must get a shitload of, you know, false alarms, if you will, on missing people. They must. to have this general idea that, oh, they must be a runaway, blah, 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 they left on their own accord, all that. But it just takes that one cop with a good instinct sometimes to say, hey, you know, catch that one detail that this is weird. Or if you have a whole family down there saying, this is not like them, They're responsible. You know, they always do this, be it church, work, school. Maybe somebody should drive out and take a look around and ask a few questions. I mean, is it that hard?
1: I feel like maybe today things might be a little different with social media. Yes. People can create their own buzz. You can. You know, if they have a missing child, they can take to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and everyone's sharing photos and trying to help. And I think that a lot of times catches the attention of law enforcement because people are calling them out. Like, why are you not helping us yes. find this missing kid? Right. But we've seen that in our own town with a friend's daughter yep. and that went missing. Sure did. So I think that maybe today there's a little more interest in helping these situations. I think some agencies have kind of learned from their mistakes in the past. What? But if a family is coming to you and saying, this is completely out of character for this person. Right. And with everything we know now about true crime and serial killers, and there's just so much more information available. Right. I feel like they might take it a bit more seriously than, say, 10, 15, 20 years
0: ago. And that's a good point you made about the social media. Us regular folk, no matter where we live or how we came up, do have the power to put pressure back on the authorities or our local government.
1: We do. February 5th, nineteen. 1994. Hunters are out on a dirt road near Lake James, where they happen to find human skeletal remains, including bones with tissue and clumps of hair. A sheet towel and some clothing items, like a pants, a pair of pants, a bra, a shirt, are also discovered near the body. The remains were not concealed in any way. There was no grave or anything. It wasn't like anyone had taken time to try to bury this body. It basically had just been left out in the open.
0: That's crazy.
1: However, it had been left out in the open, you know, with the elements, the animals. So, you know, it was pretty seriously decomposed at that point. Like I mentioned, they found bones, did have some tissue left, but, you know, it was fairly progressed in decomposition. Investigators conclude it is the body of Sophia Lowry. Her skull was almost crushed completely and the body dumped in the woods. Her cause of death was determined to be blunt force trauma. The medical examiner believes she'd likely been hit with a heavy object in the back of the head. They don't believe that she was murdered there. They believe she was murdered elsewhere and brought to this place to be, you know, disposed
0: of. Right.
1: Once Sophia's body is discovered, authorities have a murder on their hands. There were no real leads in the case, so it goes cold.
0: Yeah, because they ain't been working the damn case from the moment it started. When she went missing. Precisely.
1: Oh, God. Yeah, you're it absolutely right. just pisses me off. One witness claimed to have seen Zelfia get into a vehicle with a man, but could not offer up any kind of good description. I mean, as time had passed, it had been a while, and, you know, you don't always pay attention to those details.
0: No, you definitely don't. Not in your daily life.
1: Rumors again were swirling around the small town. People speculated Zelphia's murder was drug related. She had been killed by a group of men and disposed of in the woods, was like another story that went around town. But nothing, you know, came to fruition from these stories. They were all just rumors, gossip. Thinkers also pointed in the direction of Eddie Pittman. Both Jeremiah and Zelphia were missing, and investigators learned that these two had witnessed an arson incident, which they considered a lead, and it could be a possible motive.
2: Might well, be a pretty good motive, I guess.
1: Attention shifts to Eddie Pittman.
2: We're living in the age of podcasting, which also means the age of podcast networks, with large back catalogs, long-running series, limited programming, and even cross-network collaborations. How are publishers supposed to keep this all organized? With Spreaker, of course. Spreaker's customizable publisher plan lets you organize your content exactly how you want it and gives you enough pod tech tools to monetize the largest back catalogs. If you're into premium offerings for subscribers, check out Spreaker's customized RSS feeds to upload and schedule exclusive content with ease. Or use our campaign manager to manage different campaigns from one central platform. Once your podcast business gets big enough, you can even add multiple networks to one account and collaborators assigned to each one. That helps keep the true crime series away from the comedy podcasts. And make sure you get the advertisements that will resonate the most with your listeners. So let's move from the age of podcasting to the age of the podcast network with Spreaker. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com.
1: Now, the story is that Jeremiah and Sophia pulled up to this trailer where Eddie Pittman was staying with his, Girlfriend, a woman named Rosemary Gehring. They drive up. He comes outside and tells them, Y'all need to get the hell out of here. Leave. Oh, God. And he's a pretty intimidating guy. So Jeremiah and Zelfia leave the residence, and not very long after, it goes up in flames.
0: So it sounds like he already had the damn. <laughs> whatever he was using to set it on fire, set up, and it's about to go. And he's yeah. like, "Get the hell he out had of here burned
1: now!" Down his girlfriend's trailer. They had planned to do this to collect insurance money.
0: Oh my god! And so
1: Jeremiah and Zelphia were witnesses to this. They had kept it very quiet; didn't tell anybody, but maybe a like a family member or two. But you know, it was like it had nothing had really come of this, right? It was in February of 1996 that Rosemary Gehring, again, the girlfriend of Eddie Pittman, randomly just shows up at the sheriff's department stating that Eddie's going to kill her. She needs protection. She needs help. And it's because of what she knows. Well, investigators are interested. She takes them to a remote area, tells them, you guys need to dig here. Oh, God. Now, the property was once a gem mine like mostly for rubies. Eddie had been using the dirt from this mine for a tourist gem mining business. Okay. Investigators start digging at this property, and it's a, it's taken a while. They're digging deep and deeper and deeper, and they're not finding anything. So they're kind of getting a little aggravated with this woman, and they think she's full, just of, full of shit, basically. Okay. And she's like, no, I'm telling you, it's right here, it's down there deep, you need to keep digging. Well, eventually, they find bones. Jeremiah Pittman's remains were found exactly where Rosemary had directed them to dig.
0: Well, damn.
1: Gary confesses to witnessing a confrontation between Eddie and his son. Now, at some point during this heated argument, Eddie Pittman picked up a hammer, hit his son with it, killing the 18-year-old. The couple then takes Jeremiah's truck, and they park it off the interstate to appear as though he's abandoned it. Then the couple takes Jeremiah's body to this ruby mine that they had leased. They dig this grave, toss in the boy's body, and cover him with lime. The cause of death is a blunt force injury, which was the same way that Zofia was killed.
0: Well, my God, maybe if the cops had swung around there and had a conversation with Eddie and got a chance to talk to the damn girlfriend... And really give them a hard line of questioning about Jeremiah's where he's at or has anything happened to him,
1: they might have figured all this out then. Investigators believe these two murders are tied together, but now, you know, finding evidence is a crucial part. Eddie's arrested for the murder of his son, and when he served with the warrant, he asks, Who's murder? <laughs> when they tell him, We've got this warrant for murder, we're gonna arrest you. And he asks, who's murder? That really sends investigators into a frenzy. Because they think he means Zelfia.
0: Yeah, which one, yeah, which which murder are you talking about here?
1: However, Eddie Pittman does not confess. He says he doesn't know anything about Zelfia's murder. With no evidence tying him to the woman's disappearance, he can't be charged in her death. Eddie Pittman ends up taking a plea deal for manslaughter in the murder of his son, Jeremiah. And as far as I know, the guy's already out of prison. What the fuck? Yeah.
0: I know it's all about evidence, what they can prove in court and all that.
1: During this time, Pittman is also tied to the 1991 murder of Wallace Wise, a 70 year old businessman from Asheville. Wise sold antiques out of his home and was a real estate agent. He was found stabbed in an upstairs bedroom at his residence on Haywood Road in Asheville. Now, Gehrig had met Wise at some sort of antiques auction, and so they were friends. They were friendly with each other. When Wise's body was discovered by a different friend, there was an antique jewelry box missing, some jewels gone, cash taken. There was no sign of forced entry into the home, again, because Rosemary Gehrig is friendly with this guy. So basically, they went to this man's house. She managed to get in the house. You know, she's an acquaintance. They rob him, kill him. She's officially charged with Wise's murder. And I believe that Pittman is basically just charged as an accessory to this crime. Okay. In November of 1998, another man is arrested in connection with Zelfia's murder. His name is Scott Grady Smith. He was arrested and charged with aiding and abetting. But no arrest was made as far as the actual killer. This part's really bungled. Smith was charged with being present during the murder and assisting in disposing of her body. Investigators believe Zofia was murdered to cover up another crime. But at the time of Smith's arrest, investigators with the McDowell County Sheriff's Department wouldn't release any information on what this supposed crime connection was. Like what crime was being committed that she witnessed that she ends up dead? Yeah,
0: they only have their theory together.
1: The charges are dropped because it's impossible to prove someone aided in a murder when the actual murderer has not been charged.
0: Okay, now they can't charge that man again with that.
1: And just totally, like I said, bungled botched. Again, Ah. these are just people who don't know their ass from a hole in the ground.
0: Damn it, McDowell County. I hate to say
1: it, but fuck, get it together. Over the years, time proves to be the biggest enemy in cold cases, as we know. Uh, With Zulfia's case, there seemed to be less and less chance of solving it. People forget details, descriptions, clues, slip through the cracks. You didn't really have a good, solid initial investigation. Uh, Yeah,
0: you you can't lean on that. It's kind of
1: hard to go back 10, 5, 10, 15 years later and try to question people that have forgotten. It's not fresh in their mind. You didn't interview them 20 years ago. Right. They may have dates confused, memories confused. People
0: die, people move away. That's just I mean, that to not have a solid original case file to work, I mean you you literally have nothing to
1: work with. Now as much as I am like what the hell, McDowell County Sheriff's Department, there is one detective that we should give a round of applause to, a it's guy named Dan Cook.
0: These badass, grizzled
1: Investigating. All it takes is one person who is interested in going the extra mile yep. or, you know, just doing their fucking job to make a difference. So, after two years, um, this is after Zelfia's remains were found, you know, two years later, Detective Dan Cook with the McDowell Sheriff's Department begins sort of periodically reviewing the case file, just hoping that something will jump out at it. Around the time Smith's charges were dropped in 1998, Detective Cook found two names written on a small piece of paper that were just sort of stuffed in the case file. The name was Robin, Witted, and Robert. So it didn't even have a last name. Now, Witted has been a possible suspect, but the initial investigation had paid little attention or done much following up with this man. Like, someone had given this name, it had been written down, but, you know, he wasn't interviewed, no one had talked to him. yeah. It's just fucked up, right? Oh, my God. The names were given by an informant, too. And this may be another reason why it was partially dismissed.
0: Yeah, they weren't believing them or think they're full of shit.
1: This informant's name is Ronald. That's all I know.
0: That's a lot of R's.
1: He claimed he had known neighbors of Witted who had described this one particular evening when Zelfia had gone missing and how his friend had gone over to ask Robin Witted and this guy Robert to turn music down. They all lived in a trailer park together. The two men at this time acted pretty strangely, and they were later seen carrying something out of the house. Like they thought maybe it was a rolled up rug or piece of carpet. Denise Coleman is the neighbor. She confronted the men about the music, because she explained that, you know, she was basically getting high on meth. And she didn't want the cops up there. So you got to turn your music down because we're at my house getting fucked up and we don't need cops up here.
0: Okay, that's reasonable besides doing the math.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she says that, you know, when she goes to confront them about the music, this guy Robin said they would picked up a girl from a truck stop, Zofia Lowry, that they had sex with her. And she was in the house throwing up that the guy, Robert, was in there trying to clean up this mess. So he's just, like, telling her the story that's probably a little bit too much information.
0: She's high as fuck, so, you know.
1: And then later she says she sees these men carrying out what looked like a rolled-up rug out of the house
0: that's almost like a cliche <laughs> isn't it well
1: i'm just imagining you know i go knock on the neighbor's door and i'm just like do you mind turning your music down yeah and then they start telling me a story about well we just picked up this girl at this truck stop and we're in here we're in here banging her but she threw up and so my buddies in there cleaning up the puke i mean isn't that just like a little bit too much to offer up yeah but then again maybe not i don't know because she's telling them y'all need to turn the music down because i'm getting high on meth
0: Try to smoke my bath over here.
1: <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> enough Jerry Springer. Detectives track down this mobile home, and now you got to remember this is years later. Ronald's description was actually pretty spot on about where the trailer was located, what it looked like, the trailer park. Yeah, everything. Okay. A landlord even confirms the names of these two men who lived there. Yes, this guy Robin Witted lived here, and he had this other fellow named Robert living. In this trailer. Well, by 2005, that's how long it took Detective Cook to track down Robin Whitted.
0: That's crazy.
1: He was living in Virginia. Witted was working at a car dealership. Now, he admitted he had partied with this blonde girl who had a really unusual name. He couldn't remember her name. He said, you know, he did recall hanging out with her, having sex with her, and then she left the next morning. Cook interviewed Witted several times. Now, during these interviews, he began giving conflicting stories, which was a huge red flag for investigators. I mean, anytime a person of interest starts switching up their story, this is never a good sign.
0: No, it's because you're fucking lie.
1: Well, in some ways you gotta think, okay, well, if something happened twenty years ago and someone asked you about it, your details might be a little foggy. There might be something that you remember later like, right. oh, yeah, this it's or that. Small, minor details. But your story as a whole is not going to change. No. Drastically.
0: No, minor stuff may change, but not the complete, not the timeline or not the what you did or who you did it with. That's so not going to change.
1: After a few interviews, eventually Witted is going to crack under pressure. He admits he was involved in the cover-up of Lowry's murder, but he claims he was not the actual killer and he pins the crime on his friend. So let's talk about this guy, Robert Dean Taylor. His name is Bobby. People call him Bobby. Oh, of course they do. He had been staying with Whitted back in 1993. The pair had known one another from childhood, like they were elementary school friends. Witted happened to be visiting his family in Virginia when he bumped into Bobby Taylor. He invited Taylor to come back to North Carolina with him. See, Winnet was recently separated from his wife, and I guess he thought having his childhood buddy around would be good for him. They were going to party, chase women, drink, hang out, just live it up. Yeah. Two bachelors.
0: In this really nice trailer.
1: We're going to party. It's 1993. We're going to throw on some winger, some rat on the stereo system, and (laughs) uh, we're going to do a little dance, make a little love, right? Maybe with each other. I don't know, I don't judge. Taylor moved into Whitted's rented mobile home and eventually did find work, you know, in the Marion area. On July 27th, 1993, Witted claimed he had come home from work around 4.30 p.m. Taylor was waiting for him at their residence and he had a copy of Lowry's phone number. Bobby Taylor wanted to call her and invite Zelfia over, you know, just to party and hang out. Now, it wasn't ever really clear how Bobby Taylor had gotten her phone number. Okay. Like if it was from someone he worked with or he had maybe seen her and then asked someone else who is she had gotten her number. I mean, I don't know. But the pair, meaning Zelfia and Bobby Taylor, had never actually met each other in person. So They had only ever spoken on the phone.
0: So he didn't, hey girl, what's your name?
1: How no, so, I mean, maybe me it get
0: was them like
1: a friend had sort okay. of set them up. That's a little weird, Or but... maybe he had called someone else and had gotten on the phone with her at some point. I mean, who okay. knows, back in the day before we had Tinder and Facebook and huh. texting and all that. Hey, you got to hook up somehow. <laughs> well, Winnin and Taylor, they decide they're going to get in touch with Zelfia. They call her up. She agrees to meet them at the truck stop. She's down to hang out. So the pair go pick her up in Witted's pickup truck. When the three return back to the trailer together, they start making cocktails. They're having some vodka and OJ. Oh. A little screwdriver. They are taking some Xanax. Ooh. Witted and Lowry are dancing together. At some point, the men kind of exchange, you know, a knowing glance. In which Taylor says, basically, it's fine. Go ahead. Like, meaning, I guess, that it's okay if Witted hooks up with Zelfia.
0: Even though he... Yeah,
1: Bobby Taylor was the one that wanted to call her over.
0: Right, he initiated all this. Of course, he's more than likely trying to hook up with her.
1: Right, but she's not interested in him. She likes his friends.
0: It happens. He
1: kind of looks at the friend like, "Mm okay, go on. Yeah, I guess you have permission to tap that.
0: I won't get mad.
1: Right. So, Witted and Zelfia retreat to the shower together. The two have sex in the bathroom. At some point, Zelfia does get sick in the bathroom and starts throwing up. But when she's finished, the two, Witted and Zelfia, then go to the bedroom and start having sex. Ah,
0: yeah, see, I'm not having sex after somebody throws up. You're not? Probably not. I mean, I can puke and rally with the best. I can get back in the party. But yeah, if me or you puke then we're not probably not going to have sex right now, right? Well, I don't know. Would you puke and then sex? I'm, oh, my God, you I'm, would. I'm
1: pleading. I'm taking the fifth You've on it. You've already done this. I what? take the fifth. Oh, Look, my. Look, I had a life before I knew you, Dylan. No. Okay. I was young once.
0: Oh, my many, God. Many, many you years ago. puked on it?
1: At some point during the encounter. Okay. Well, no, but I do have a funny story. I won't share it with you here. <laughs> And our Mountain <laughs> Murders audience, but I will tell you a funny story later.
0: Okay, I'm going to tell it to them later.
1: At some point during the encounter, Taylor enters the bedroom while the couple's, you know, in the midst of the ooh-la-la.
0: It's probably been some time. They've been in the shower, they've not felt good, then they went to the bedroom, and it's a small trailer. So, I mean, you know, he he knows what's up.
1: Oh, yeah. He goes in the bedroom and basically tells them, hey, it's my turn to have sex with Zofia. Oh. Zofia is grabbed by Taylor. She pulls away and tells him to stop. She's not interested in this guy.
0: Yeah, she Wits doesn't his- have a say-so here, she buddy. His
1: friend. Witted is then struck by Taylor so hard, in fact, that he falls out of the bed. Again, Taylor hits him. So at this point, this guy, Robin Witted, is bleeding. He's like, what the fuck, man? He, you know, gets up, goes in the kitchen to get some paper towels for his head. Yeah. Because he's basically just been knocked the fuck out yeah. by his horny caveman friend. Who
0: said he wasn't going to get mad, basically.
1: While he's in the kitchen, it says he hears a really loud thumping noise coming from the bedroom.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And when he goes back to the bedroom, he finds Bobby Taylor on his knees. He is above Zofia, she's on the floor, naked, she's bleeding, and Bobby Taylor is basically beating her head into the floor. That's the thumping sound that he's been hearing.
0: What the hell, Bobby?
1: Bobby grabs a towel, a sheet, and starts to wrap it around her bloody head. Yeah. Bobby Taylor was really angry because he had spent a lot of money on booze and drugs and she chose to have sex with his friend instead. So I guess the whole time Taylor is shouting, he's mad, like, I'm the one that's supposed to be doing this. I bought the drugs. I bought the booze.
0: Yeah, I I went and found them white bars and eggses. I got the vodka from down there at the damn package store.
1: I probably spent a whole $40 on this evening, and I ain't getting none. I mean, I can just imagine this redneck idiot. Well, the pair then dressed. And they carry Zulfia's body that they wrap in a sheet to the back of Witted's truck. The drive is basically to a remote area. So Bobby Taylor is ordering him, you drive, don't ask questions. And, you know, Robin Witted's claiming that he's like, we should call someone. Uh, Yeah. Like, she's hurt. She could be dead. Like, we need to call 911. We need to get her to a hospital. And the whole time, this Bobby Taylor guy is like, if you say a fucking thing, I will fuck you up. You're a criminal. You've got a history. We were partying. I've got a criminal history. Like, we'll end up in all this trouble. Yeah. You can just shut your mouth.
0: No, no, no. Well,
1: they drive into to this remote area. Taylor then carries the body into the woods, but returns less than an hour later. So it couldn't be that far out into the woods. The two then return home and go to sleep. What the hell? The next morning, Witted gets up, goes to work, and when he comes home in the afternoon, Bobby Taylor has cleaned the trailer. Zylfia's purse is found under a chair, so Robin Witted takes it to a store and leaves it there. An employee of the M&M supermarket finds the purse hanging on a door. And this was just like right after this girl goes missing. Another employee of the store would later tell police that a man had called twice to make sure the purse was found and specifically said, please call the police about this purse.
0: What the hell? Did the cops pick that lead up?
1: I mean, not like they really didn't know No, because <laughs> they weren't
0: even fucking looking for her. Uh, they weren't even looking for her.
1: Investigators eventually, and you gotta remember, this is 2005. This is like 12 years later, right? Yeah. They track down that mobile home, still in that same area. Like all the information they had from back then is okay, this place is still here. But this mobile home at this point, pretty old, long since been abandoned. But they go inside anyway. And I mean, this is like a trailer that the roof's caving in. There's right. been animals in it. Yeah. There's dirt, leaves, debris. The windows busted out. I mean, you know. So it
0: sounds like it likely abandoned shortly after these two guys didn't live there anymore.
1: Yeah, Which probably. is a good thing. Or, you know, sometime in the years yeah. after. Okay. So it's abandoned. But investigators go in anyway and start looking for any kind of evidence that they can find. And guess what they, they happen to stumble across? Fuck of evidence in the trailer imagine that they did have to exhume zilfia's remains so they could do dna testing but the lab results proved that it was actually a match to zilfia's blood
0: so they found this old dusty fallen in trailer and could prove that she was there yes and that her blood's there yes okay and
1: they're finding it in you know, like the cracks of the doorway, right where they knew, you know, in this bedroom, this bathroom area, right that they knew this is where these things had taken place. this
0: yeah and, so they, and they were so it knew does that someone tried to clean it.
1: Have some consistency with Robin's story. That's Robin's crazy.
0: That's crazy.
1: Now Bobby Taylor had this extensive criminal record. As I'd kind of mentioned before, that was one of the reasons he made threats about you can't go to cops because right. we both have a criminal history, but his criminal record included a lot of violent crimes now, when investigators try to question Taylor, they find him already serving time in federal prison in Inez, Kentucky.
0: oh okay, it's a good guy
1: and you know what I thought was really interesting is one of the detectives said when he went in there and was questioning this guy, you know, Taylor's just giving him like this shitty grin, being a smart ass, like not answering him. Right. And the detective's like, look, I'm a seasoned homicide detective. I've been doing this for 25 years. Yeah. Like, you're not going to fuck with me. Right. And that Taylor looked at him and like pointed around at this prison room and was like, I've been doing this for 25 years.
0: Oh my God. So he's just a career criminal. Yeah. Okay.
1: Eventually, Taylor is charged with first-degree murder of Zephia Lowry. Robin Witted was charged as an accessory. Taylor was found guilty and was given a life sentence. So he's serving that at the Sampson Correctional Institute here in North Carolina. Robin Witted pled guilty to an accessory and was given a three-year suspended sentence.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, he's an asshole. I mean, you go tell the cops. As soon as you get away from this maniac, you know what I mean? Or if there's somehow he could have caused a bigger stink then, maybe she could have got medical attention. Because he smashed the back of her head in against the floor. And who knows how long, you know, when she passed from that. Right. I mean, if he's still saying, you know, as they're driving her, her away from there, he's wanting to take her out in the, you know, Bobby's wanting to take her in the middle of the woods or whatever. And he's still saying we should get her some help. We should try So, she's still alive, it sounds like. Possibly. More than likely. So, yeah, I mean, he, after all that time, it took someone coming and talking to him about it.
1: It took 15 years to solve her cold case.
0: So, I understand why he got accessory, you know, a suspended sentence, because he testified against Bobby and all that, but he's an asshole, too.
1: Well, I just don't know how you murder live with someone it. and live with it. Yeah. Go on to marry, have kids, yeah, work a job.
0: I mean, I guess in his mind, it was the other guy did it.
1: Fish, hunt, carry on. Yeah, just
0: like nothing. It's okay. I couldn't live with it.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't think I could live with it. Just that knowing someone just killed someone like that. kind of people. But yeah, this guy yeah. is somewhere out there in the world, I <sighs> believe, in Virginia.
0: Isn't that horrible? Just horrible.
1: L-I-V-I-N. He's living.
0: Fucking Bobby Taylor, guys. Watch out in Virginia, possibly, for this guy.
1: No, Bobby Taylor's in prison,
0: honey. Oh, fuck Bobby Taylor. Yeah, Robin Witted. Watch out for him. Because he's not going to tell you the truth.
1: He's going to come find you now that you said that.
0: Oh, my God. I'll fight a guy named Robin.
1: I actually did try to stalk him on Facebook. Did
0: you really? Yeah, I
1: think I found him. He's got like three or four different social media accounts.
0: Oh. Like he
1: must be one of those guys that just forgets his password and then just keeps like creating accounts. Oh. But if you're listening, Robin, you kind of look like a goober. He just looks like your garden variety, like redneck idiot.
0: Oh, so that's why he didn't tell the truth. You know, when I
1: say that, I'm a redneck. Yeah. I mean, like...
0: We're country.
1: I made you buy me some red seal the other night?
0: You did. I can always tell when you're getting really buzzed, because you either ask me to hit my cigarette, or you stop at a store and demand I go in there and get you some red seal. And you take a dip
1: of I'm it. I'm country.
0: Yeah, so we're country as fuck, too.
1: So I can say he's a redneck idiot. Yeah. I mean, because we're rednecks, and we ca- I come from a family of fucking because rednecks. Because that's
0: different. But
1: I know the difference in, like, you kind of a country redneck, and then you just look like a goober. Right. This guy
0: just looks like a goober oh god you know we're doing another case those like, people hey, look like goober hey
1: i'm a goober and i'm gonna wear like this muscle shirt like a t-shirt with the sleeves cut out Mm-hmm. it's got like dale earnhardt on it and my ball cap and like all my facebook pictures of me holding like a big fish
0: oh you better stop
1: well no he just looks like a goober okay well i he, mean he is a goober i mean if you're like decked out in your fly fishing gear and you got a big fish that's one thing but when you just look like the idiot that we know that hangs out at my the, beer? the local bar Yeah, that's going to get drunk and, like, piss on the front steps of the bar in front of everybody okay. and try to fight somebody, Yeah, you know. fight me. Like, he just looks like that guy. Okay. He just
0: looks like a dipshit. He's an asshole, too. I'm sorry.
1: He is. But this whole case is really sad. It's
0: very sad. Especially
1: for this family. I mean, they lost two loved ones.
0: The poor family.
1: In less than a year.
0: And they went so long before they had closure on either one. I know. That's the worst though. It's really it.
1: sad. And then the fact that they were both such good friends with each other.
0: Yeah.
1: And like really counted on each other. Oh, God. I mean, that's just, it's a very sad story.
0: It is. I feel so bad for that family. And I
1: feel really bad for Zofia. I mean, we've all been young. And this is the thing. I mean, I'm not shaming anybody because I've been young and I've been stupid and I've probably done a lot of shit I shouldn't do. But she didn't deserve this. She's a young woman. She is looking for a good time. She wants to have some drinks, party. Right. And ends up with the wrong guys.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to guess nobody knew where she went.
1: Exactly. And you've got to, as a female, and if you have daughters or you're a young person, take steps, you know, like precautions.
0: Go with someone. Go with
1: a friend. Make sure people know where you are. Yeah. You have to be really careful because you never know. You could end up in a situation like this, which I'm sure is the furthest thing from her mind when these guys called her up and said, hey, you want to come over and party?
0: Right, because she's, she's hung out and partied before. She's like
1: poison. She wants nothing but a good
0: time. Oh, my God. And I'll, then
1: she ends up dead. And dead. it's just really fucking sad. Because
0: this dude's an a uh, maniac and uh, totally insecure as fuck, honestly. And he can't deal with the fact that she wanted to have sex with his friend instead of him. Yeah,
1: he gets rejected, so he flips so out and So I'm a kill over
0: a little bit of beer and some damn pills?
1: Yeah, it's some bullshit. It wasn't even
0: hard drugs.
1: Yeah, he's a shithead.
0: Oh my God. How about his tiny penis?
1: But it's just really sad.
0: Yeah, Beca- so sad. Because
1: when you hear a story like this, I mean, I think back to when I was in my early 20s. And you just don't, you're so young and naive. And you just don't think this is going to happen to you.
0: Right. Never.
1: But any of us who, you know, maybe put ourselves in
0: we just happen a, a dangerous
1: to, situation this could happen to anybody.
0: We're just lucky enough not to come across a, a monster of a person who would do something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's over just nothing. really
1: sad. I feel sorry for her.
0: Oh, my I gosh. I feel
1: sorry for this guy who was murdered by his own daddy. Yes. Yeah. Very sad. Well thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of Mountain Murders. We just uploaded a brand new episode to patreon. so if you're interested in signing up, find Mountain Murders podcast on patreon for only a dollar a month you can support the podcast.
0: yes and speaking of Patreon, our newest member
1: Mike Moore. Thanks Mike Moore. Thanks for hooking it up. You're it's the best out at our highest level so we do appreciate that. Uh we'll be back with more Mountain Murder soon. So just hang in there, guys. Stay warm.